several weeks ago, we began looking at a very important topic for Christianity, for Christians, and that was the, the topic of the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> and again, several weeks ago, maybe a month ago, we began looking at the cross from different directions. You know, today in Christianity, it's very obvious that the cross is a symbol related to our faith, but it wasn't always that way. In fact, in early Christian art, the cross wasn't a symbol that was used. Um, some of the symbols that early Christians used to denote their faith, well, one of them was the peacock as a sign of the resurrection. Not quite sure of the connection, but that's what they did. They would paint the, the peacock on their tombs. Again, it was a sign of the resurrection. <clears throat> Daniel's, the story of Daniel and the lion's den is found very early in Christian art as well when Daniel's brought out of the lion's den, another symbol of the resurrection and how God protected the innocent. Then, of course, there's the symbol of the fish that we still see on bumper stickers today, back of individuals' cars. And, of course, um, the Greek word for fish and the Greek letters, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, they are the same thing, the word for fish in Greek, makes an acronym with those different letters. And so that was a symbol. But eventually, the cross became a symbol in art to stand for the Christian faith. Unfortunately, around the same time in history when that was happening, the meaning of the cross was being lost. Around the second century and third century, as Christianity was becoming more popular, fourth century, the sign of the cross became everywhere present, but its meaning was lost. And I wonder if the same thing could be possibly true today, that we're very familiar with that symbol, but what it means is something else. So again, several weeks back, we looked at the cross, and we saw that, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the cross reveals God's plan for humanity. And then a few weeks back, as we had communion, we saw that the cross was the place where Christ was able to make the covenant come to fruition at no matter any cost to himself. So this morning, I'd like to look at another dimension of the cross, and it's the dimension of reconciliation. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to this passage, first Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 18. But as you're turning there, 2 Corinthians 5, we'll start in verse 18, we think about reconciliation. Uh, again, there's lots of different metaphors. There's a legal metaphor. There's the covenant metaphor. Um, there's redemption, slave metaphor, temple metaphors, different word pictures about the cross. But reconciliation is a very personal one. I think every one of us have probably had a broken relationship somewhere in our life, whether it's with a friend or a spouse or a parent or a child. We're all very familiar with the need for reconciliation. Yes or no? In reconciliation, this picture brings about something that touches deeply to our heart. And again, as we're looking at the cross, not only do we want to understand it for ourselves, but being able to explain different aspects of the cross enables us 
to reach different people in ways that are meaningful to them. And reconciliation is one of those pictures that really just transcends boundaries. Because everybody, I believe, has experienced some kind of brokenness in their life. As my wife reminded me this week, a really interesting thought, that human tears preceded raindrops. That human tears are older than the rain. Have you ever thought of that? That Adam and Eve, the humanity, cried before rain ever fell. And the brokenness, the fractured relationships, the alienation that comes between individuals and families and peoples and countries is something as old as the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and ended up breaking that relationship which is the foundation of all others. And in breaking their relationship with God, they broke their relationship with one another, and human history has been this continual unfolding of nation against nation, tribe against tribe, people against people, husbands against wives, parents against children, broken relationships. Aren't you glad there's a reconciliation picture for the cross? that this foundation need that we have in humanity, we really can see it being fulfilled in the life and death of Jesus Christ. So as we, before we turn here again, we think about this in our human condition. What is it that causes us to need reconciliation with God? What is it that causes you and me to need reconciliation with God? Sin, right? Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, tell us that sin has made a separation. Your sins have separated between you and your God. So sin causes this break between us and God. And you see that all throughout scriptures. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 tells us that we're, uh, you know, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Colossians chapter 1 Verses 19 through 20 tell us that we're alienated from God. Romans chapter 5 tells us in verses 9 and 10 that we're enemies with God. Does any of that ring true in your own life? You ever feel like you're alienated from God? Or that sometimes God feels like an enemy? Certainly, at least before our Christian experience, but even sometimes in the midst of our Christian experience, we recognize this separation. Well, praise God, there's a reconciliation. And, and it's a beautiful picture about what Jesus did at the cross. And I want to say at the very beginning that as I've been, as I've been studying about the cross, I just really uh, feel totally inadequate. This morning I was talking to the king's daughters, daughters of the king, sorry. And I heard them earlier in their song, and I said, you know, you really, you should just take the whole service. And so they're ready, and I'm going to step down, and they're going to come down. No, no. Um, uh, they said they could take it, but they're just not quite ready. But we should probably arrange that sometime. Amen? To broach a topic that we're going to be studying with through eternity, I should feel inadequate. And, and we should feel inadequate as we look at it so that God's Spirit could teach us the tremendous cost of that reconciliation, what it brings and how I can apply it to my life, how I can 
really be, as the text tells us, a minister of reconciliation. So let's look here. First Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 18. And would somebody who has the King James read verse 18 for us, nice and loud. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. Okay, so that first phrase, it's really, um, we're going to, if I can use the metaphor of chewing our food, we're going to chew through this passage really slowly this morning. All things are of God. What does that mean? All things are of God. When we just read that, all things are of God, well, of course, God created everything. But Paul's saying something very specific. And if someone else has another translation, New International, New American Standard, English Standard Version, someone else have another translation? Correct? Okay, all this is from God. The New American Standard here says, now all these things are from God. And so the question that we immediately ask is, well, all what things? All of this is from, what is Paul, what does he mean that all of this is from God? And we have to go back and we read a few verses before this, where Paul begins to talk about the impact of Christ's death on his life. So let's just jump back quickly to verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of a sound mind, it is for you. Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And there's a tremendous um, meaning in those verses, but just in quick summary, Paul's talking about Christ's death. It included, in some sense, all of us, and if we believe it, it should make a change in our life. All this is from God. All these things. Verse 17, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. All of this is from God. Verse 18, now all of this, all these things are from God. So the first thing that we see here is that this is God's activity. Let's continue reading the verse. Verse 18, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself. How? Through, by Jesus Christ or by Christ. And I just want to look at the first half of the verse. I'm going to look at a, first, a number of first halves of the verse. So the first thing, again, all this is from God. That's a really important point. Why? Too often, we think, when we think of reconciliation or we think of uh, Christ's intercession, we get the wrong impression that Christ is trying to do some kind of work of reconciling us and God back together. As though God is, in some sense, a unwilling or forced partner in the reconciliation. But that's not what the scripture tells us. Who's the source of this reconciliation? God is. And many people, young people, people that have grown up in the church, people that haven't grown up in the church, have this idea somehow that God, that Jesus needs to do something to change God's mind about us. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John 16, what is it, 27 through 29? The Father himself loves you. 
So the first thing that we see really clearly, really importantly, all this is from God. This is from the Father. And then the agency who through Christ, God did something. What did God do? He reconciled us to himself. It's another thing here about God's purpose. God's aim here, all this is from God. It's coming from God. And as well, Christ is not changing the Father's heart. Christ is the agent of God. We'll look at that in in a moment. But the second point I want to bring out of this verse is that nothing in this is from us. We are not contributors to the reconciliation. We can accept the reconciliation. We can refuse the reconciliation. We can rejoice in the reconciliation. But the reconciliation is God's work. All this, all these things are from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And if we can be able to communicate, first of all, we can believe it. And there's a lot in this passage that I have a hard time believing, I'll tell you that. Um, If we can believe it and then really embrace it and share it with other people, that the reconciliation process is not my job, this reconciliation process. Now, if I'm estranged from my wife or from a friend, there's a different dynamic. But this reconciliation process, I, I can embrace it. I can respond to it. I can, I can say, hallelujah. And I can embrace it, but I don't contribute to it. All this is from God. For God, use Jesus Christ to reconcile me to himself. Reconciled Christ to reconcile you to himself. Another dimension here, think back to verse 14. Well, I don't, we have to go back to verse 14. We can go to verse uh, 19. We'll come back to the second half of verse 18 in a moment. Verse 19. Namely, that God was where? In Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Another dimension of this passage is that there is a universal aspect of what Christ has done. There is a universal aspect to what Christ has done. Let's try to apply that. As a country, do we have any enemies in the world? We do. What are some of our enemies? What are some of our enemies? Russia, Iran, North Korea. Yeah, they're pretty generic. What else? We have lots of enemies in this world, right? Of course, we have. Satan is an enemy, for sure. But God was in Christ reconciling who? As a country, we have enemies. As Christians... Should we have enemies? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Is that possible? That God really was doing something for the whole world? You mean even the enemies of the United States? 
God was in Christ reconciling the world. What's the agent of this reconciliation? Christ. Notice what it says in verse 18. Through Christ, God reconciled the world. What does verse 19 say? God was in Christ. The important point here is that God is not at a distance in the reconciliation process. God is not as a, in a, at a distance in the crucifixion. God's not at a distance in the cross. God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now that should raise a lot of questions, especially as we go through the passage. Well, how does that, how does that happen as, as Christ cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's, an, there's a picture, I forgot the, the name of the artist that painted it, but there's a picture of the crucifixion of the cross. And on the cross, obviously you see Christ crucified, and then you see this dark, shadowy cloud behind the cross as the cross was enveloped in darkness. And then if you look closely at the painting, the author has portrayed God's presence in the dark cloud right behind the cross. So that the pain that Christ is feeling on the cross, the Father is feeling as well. Now, it's certainly true that the Father and Son felt this separation, but that was part of God's work of reconciling the world through the cross. God is reconciling the world through Christ, but not just simply by sending Christ as an emissary, as an agent, here, go do this for me. But God was actually in Christ, reconciling the world back to himself. And the anguish and the separation that Christ experienced, again, is a reflection of what God experiences at the cross and in sin, when sin is in the world. So God's the source. Christ is the agent. So let's think about all this idea here of reconciliation, reconciled. Again, we notice back up in verse 18, what's the tense of the verb there? God was in, excuse me, um, all these things are from God who, past tense, reconciled. It's a finished work on God's side, okay? It's not finished on our side, but on God's side, it's finished, We'll see why it's not finished on our side in a moment. So again, God's act of reconciliation in Christ, really it's not two parties that have been estranged, like friends or husband and wife or whatever. It's not two people coming together. God himself is taking the initiative, and he has worked out the reconciliation. And he gives it, has given it, to humanity. And that's really exciting. Because if I'm really reconciled to God, if I really embrace that reconciliation, it's going to impact all my other relationships in life. And individuals who feel alienated from God, and people do, individuals who feel a sense of angst and guilt, and people do, individuals who have broken ties in their family or among their friends, and people do, as they're reconciled back to God, they have a mechanism to again extend that reconciliation to other people. Let's go back to the, the means here, this method. Sorry, let's look at the method of reconciliation. We talked about the agency. God was in Christ, God through Christ. Let's look at the means here. And this is probably, for me, just like really an amazing passage. 
Jeremy texted me this morning, just as I'm, uh, you know, praying about the sermon and, and finishing it, and uh, he has to preach at a police station on Friday. And he was like, hey, Dad, what should I tell them? Um, I'm his online source for sermon material in Africa. Uh, by the way, I just finished an evangelistic series, right? Went pretty well, I heard. But so he texted me, and so we were chatting, you know, through text, and I said, you know, this verse is really amazing. And he said, well, what's so amazing about it? And so, well, I described the verse, and so let me read it, and let me tell you what I said to him. Verse 19, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, and this is the means of how God reconciled the world. The agency is Christ. This is the means. This is the way it happened. How did it happen? Verse 19. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. Not counting their trespasses against them. Is that the way you picture God? as not counting trespasses against you? Well, let's be honest. No. And that's what I said to Jeremy. Look at that verse. God is in Christ, reconciling the world, not counting their trespasses against them. And we have this idea that God's up there, you know, with the book, and there are books in the scriptures, so don't misunderstand me. But we have this idea that God's there and like, okay, I see what you did and he writes it down and I see what you did and I see what you did and that God is counting our trespasses against us. But what does the text say? The way God reconciled the world was not imputing, counting their trespasses against us. And I think God still thinks that. That today, God looks down, he's like, you know, I'm not counting your trespasses against you because I'm in the business of reconciliation. John chapter 3, Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. And I can see by the looks on your face that you have a problem with that text. Don't you? So what does that mean? God's not counting our trespasses against us. Somebody should jump up and say, hallelujah. hallelujah. Thank you, Wendy. <laughs> that is our only hope. And the God we serve is not looking for reasons to keep us out of heaven. The God we serve is reconciling, drawing, pulling, all these things are from him. He's not looking that way. So if I can uh, share, I had lunch, supper, something like that yesterday with uh, Kim and a friend of mine by the name of Sydney. And as we were sitting and talking, um, they asked me if I'd become more warm and fuzzy over the years. <laughs> yeah, you laughed at that. Um, <laughs> So I said, should I tell you what I said? Yeah. yeah. Mm. So I said, yes. Okay, anyway. She doesn't believe it. Anyway, um, and so then we started talking about what that means. And we started talking about 
how hard it is to really be encouraging to people. And the three of us, we're just talking about our experiences in our own lives where through our appearance or our background, we're far better at finding what's wrong than saying, well, that is really good. And we just shared that among ourselves. Is it possible that because we think God's up there trying to keep track of all the things we do wrong, we have a hard time communicating that acceptance to other people? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses against them. The Amplified Version adds the phrase, but canceling them. Wow. Really? That's what the text says. Do I relate that way to people? So the method of the reconciliation is not to keep this record but to figure out a way to get rid of the record of sin. And how does he do it? Verse 21. He made him who knew no sin, the only completely innocent one in the universe, to be sin on my behalf. Cross out that word, our, and write my. On my behalf, so that we, I, might become the righteousness of God in him. What an exchange. That is reconciliation. Where God says, I'm going to enter into your situation. I'm not going to be distant. It's God in Christ doing this. I'm going to take this whole load on, on me in Christ, and I'm going to give you an exchange. Your complete sin, my complete righteousness. That's the exchange. Do you want it? It's there. It's done. It's finished, as Jesus said. John 19.30. The reconciliation. We don't contribute to it, but we can believe it. We can accept it. Or, heaven forbid, we can reject it. And that's tragic. Um, Christianity is not a collection of rules and regulations, but a wonderful prescription. And if we follow it, we obtain a healthy body and a sound mind. Christ gave his life for those who will accept life through him. He says to the trembling sinner, lean on me. I am the sacrifice for your sins. He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's from an article, Pacific Union Recorder, November 24, 1904. What a beautiful choice. Um, you know, if somebody is going to die in their sins, it's because they've chosen it. God has done something for the world. And, and the only, you know, let me read this quotation from a, a Christian author. He says, God does not impute sin to, to them, to humanity but they choose to impute sin to themselves by choosing to bear it after God has set them free. It is not the sins of their lives that condemn men, but the fact that with the chance of getting rid of their sins, they choose to retain them. So that brings us to the next part of the verses. Let's go back up to verse 18, the last part of the verse. 
God has given us a ministry of what? Reconciliation. When that wind, as the, our, the daughters of the king sang about earlier, blows through the church, the church is going to be filled with ministers of reconciliation. They're going to know in their deepest heart that they've been reconciled to God, and they're going to do everything, else, everything they can to reconcile people back to God, to, to point them to the reconciliation, better said, and to be agents of reconciliation wherever they are. Verse 19, namely, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed to us this word of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Then notice the next part of the verse. As though God were making an appeal, how? Through us. Just as God, through Christ, reconciled the world to himself, now God, through you, wants to make appeal to other people. And the appeal is, lay down your brokenness. You've been made whole in Christ. Accept the reconciliation. Receive what he's done for you. Walk free from the angst and the guilt and the, and the pain and live a new life in Christ Jesus. Amen. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you, we beseech you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. How grateful you and I should be to partake in that. Amen. That's what God wants to do. That's what he's done in Christ. Will we accept that reconciliation? Will we become ministers of reconciliation? I was reading uh, earlier this week about an experience uh, with a man by the name of Bill Bright. I don't know how many of you would know Bill Bright. He founded an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. Really dedicated, wanted to get young people involved in Christianity. But in the 1980s or whatever it was, he began to work with a conservative congressman, and they really wanted to give a political agenda to his ministry. There was another gentleman... By the, names of, by the name of James Willis, I believe his last name was, who publishes a magazine called Sojourners, Christian magazine. And James did an expose of Bill Bright's attempt to politicize Campus Crusade for Christ. Reconciliation building? Not exactly. And he printed this expose, and it completely fractured their relationship. In fact, that they were at an evangelistic meeting, excuse me, an evangelical meeting one day, and as they were there, Bill Bright got up and actually started yelling at this guy across this dining area, accusing him of all sorts of things. This separation lasted years. Finally, James met Bill at a different dinner, and he went up to him and he said, I want to apologize to you. You were in a hotel that I was in about five years ago. And I really felt impressed that I should come to your hotel room and try to make amends. And I chose not to. And I'm sorry. We really need to put the past behind us and be reconciled as Christian brothers. Well, it was a little rough there, but maybe they decided to meet again, and they met one other time, and then they met for another meal. And Bill Bright said, you know, I'd really like to help your ministry. At this time, um, Bill Bright was about 80 years of age. And, you know, I want to help your ministry. I'm going to try to get some money to you. A couple of years passed, and then a check came in the mail, a $1,000 check, 
from Bill Bright to Jim for his ministry. And there was a note in there. You know, I've just been thinking about the past. I've been thinking about the reconciliation that God has done for humanity, and we need to be one. Someone gave me a gift, undesignated. I'm passing it on to your ministry. Here's $1,000. As Jim was reading that letter, his secretary walked in and said, did you hear the news? He said, no, what news? Bill Bright died a couple of days ago. And as they looked at the postmark on the letter, it was like one of the last things that that man did was write that letter and send it, reaching out for reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world. Today, let's not hesitate in our reconciliation, accepting the reconciliation that God has given us. And let's think of ways to extend that reconciliation to others. I have an appeal this morning. I'm not going to ask you to come up or anything. But I do have an appeal for you. And that is that there's somebody here, I am sure, has thought of God as sitting up there keeping track of everything. I pray that this morning you get that picture of God not counting your sins against you. And embrace that picture of God in Christ doing everything he can to draw you back to himself. And when you get that picture, my appeal would be that you become an agent of reconciliation as well. That each one of us do. And we begin to think, who am I separated from? What am I counting against someone that God has already forgotten? Let's, <clears throat> let's pray together. Heavenly Father, the message that you were in Christ reconciling the world, not counting our trespasses, that you've made Christ to be sin for us, is a message that needs to be repeated to every discouraged person that we might meet, every trembling, fearful individual. Father, help us to understand that you have destroyed the enmity between us and you, and that you're calling us to believe and embrace this glorious fact that you indeed do love us and have reconciled us to yourself. Father, may our hearts rejoice in that tremendous news. May it be on our lips as we meet other people. May we embrace it and communicate it. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.